Easy Does It, your cool guide to investing. Through our sort of educational element, it, it appeared to me that exchange traded funds and tax-free savings account were, were potentially the things to look at. And I just, the more that I looked at it and the more that I read, the less intimidating it became. And it just actually started to make a lot of sense. And particularly with ETFs and the fact that you could trade them as easily as you can, and that they already gave you the diversification that all the books talked about. And then the tax-free savings account in terms of minimizing fees, I was already on the right platform, bun in the butter there, and then minimizing taxes, the tax-free savings account. And then the fact that you could open them for your kids like really blew me away because one of the most critical elements in investing is time. And so it made complete sense that the earlier you could do it for your child, you know, start investing, the better. Welcome to Easy Does It, a podcast by Easy Equities, where we simplify money and investing. No jargon, no complications. Your cool guide to investing. Easy. Hi everyone, I'm Carly Esterhazen, the VP of Brand at Easy Equities, and I'm so excited for this episode of Easy Does It because we are talking about something that's very new to me and very exciting, and that is investing for your kids. I think it's just so crazy when you become a parent how important that becomes and how much you start thinking about the future of your kids, their finances, your finances. There's so much to consider. So I'm super excited to chat today. And I'm joined by Ntombi and Justin, my colleagues at Easy Equities. And I'm gonna let them introduce themselves, actually. Uh, Justin, why don't you tell everyone who you are and what you do at Easy? So my name is Justin Pierce. I'm about to, I can't believe it, but coming up for my ninth anniversary um, with Easy Equities. I started about six months after they launched back in 2014 and I used to head up client engagement but then I kind of morphed into this strange back office operational um, role and um, where I suppose just to put it simplistically I just fix things so I often get we have um, issues with client accounts or some element of functionality on the site or whatever and I have to go and pull a whole lot of data and investigate what the cause is and then try and fix it. Are you kind of like the Wizard of Oz behind the curtain, <laughs> would you say? I like to think so. <laughs> I don't know what others would say, but um, I think if you asked Ntombi, I think I've helped her with quite a lot of stuff. I think she has at least personal experience of some of what I do. Um, so yeah, but I, I love it. Um, it's fast and dynamic. I used to be involved. I actually started a tech music company in 2004 and I never ever thought I would be involved in financial services. In fact, oftentimes when some of my mates who are in banks and other areas um, that were related to financial services, when I used to ask them how was life or what did they do, um, once they launched into it and sort of told me that they were balancing some treasury account and everything, my eyes used to gloss over and I used to kind of <laughs> think about looking like I was concentrating on what they were saying but without sort of wanting to go and grab my next drink. Then, yeah, strangely, um, it, it was very, uh, very fortuitously that I ended up at Easy, and uh, it's fast and dynamic and interesting, as interesting as was my music business. And so it's tech, but just in a very different space, and I love how f fast moving and interesting and dynamic it is. It's always changing and, and always interesting. And you're not just a financial wizard of ours, you are also a DJ and a dad and somewhat of a, an athlete as well. You're also super sporty, you're involved with all, all kinds of things as well. 
I do have some funny or some, I suppose, somewhat interesting interests. Like if you pigeonhole financial services people, I suppose I'm maybe a little bit different than, than the norm. So yeah, I've, I've been a DJ for 23 years. When I say that, it makes me wince at how old I am. But I'm <laughs> still loving it. Actually play monthly with my wife, who also DJs, and a good mate. Um, and we play for eight hours at an at a amazing restaurant in Joburg, something we started about a year and a bit ago. And that's really rekindled my love of DJing, which I absolutely love and, and yeah, passionate about. And then, yeah, the other thing that I do is I, I like doing stupid um, endurance events. I got into running and then running a bit further and a bit further and then eventually more than a marathon and then into ultra marathons and then ultra distance bike stuff and everything. So I have I have made some funny alter egos. Um, my sporting alter ego is ultra bloke. Um, and I used to blog about them and everything. Unfortunately, my site went offline and I've lost all of the articles and stuff, but I'm, I'm thinking of doing that, uh, reviving that now while I trained for comrades this year, because um, I had a lot of fun with it. And the other one is my um, DJ alter ego is Johnny Nobody, um, which is saying having a little bit of fun with that. Or for an Afrikaans crowd, Yanni Niemand. So love it, you can, love it. You can, <laughs> you can have fun with these things. <laughs> Well, you're making me feel like such an underachiever. <laughs> I need to, Rubbish. I need to sign up for a marathon or something. <laughs> Zombie, tell us about yourself. What do you do at Purple? Kali, I was just about to say, I feel like I'm a boring person after everything that Justin just said. Okay. Oh, you are anything oh. but a boring person. Don't try and pretend here that you're yeah, not a weird, exciting person. <laughs> I'm, well, I'm just very talkative, I guess. That's why I'm in the client experience space, because conversations are my thing. Uh, but sporting, never me. Give me a glass of something and a couch and a book to read, and that's me. <laughs> uh, I can see us sitting on the couch having gin and tonics, because you're a big yes. gin and tonic gal, yes. right? Yes, that's my now thing. Now we're talking. <laughs> that's all the activity I get up to. I'm a mom, <laughs> and I have boys, so I'm a boy mom. And I can tell you right now, it's not easy. Well, yeah, I'm learning. <laughs> I'm learning this myself. So mom life for me is quite interesting, right? Because I'm the deputy mom. My mom being the main mom. <laughs> so I outsource <laughs> some of the responsibilities to mommy dearest. Uh, but I've got two boys, one 17 and one 10 years old. And the eldest one is now in matric and it comes with a whole lot of different stress levels and challenges because now we are beginning, you know, the rest of our lives next year. Um, so, and it, it's just so fitting that we're having this discussion today because a lot of people get caught off guard, right? <laughs> I'm sure like every phase of your child presents a different phase for you in your life as well, in your finances, in your own like individuality. It has, it has quite a lot and just your kids tell us about your kids I'm, I'm on the other side of the coin or page in that I have two girls so I have no experience of boys but yeah I have two lovely girls aged uh, the eldest has just turned 17 um, and is in grade 11 and the youngest is about to turn 12 so we've got a five-year an unintentional five-year age gap but it's worked quite nicely and yeah two delightful girls that are both quite different but but both incredible and, and I've, I've loved fatherhood my family set up we had a, a lot lamaki and my my brother is uh, 11 years my junior 
So I kind of was always used to a significantly younger kid and we kind of played a, quite a, a big part in his upbringing in terms of helping out and stuff like that. So I always felt comfortable with kids and I was always excited about having kids. And I must say that while incredibly frustrating at times um, because um, humans are quite useless and you can't believe that you have to ask someone something 10 million times before they they ever get it right or do it but the, on you know if you draw up a, a positives and negatives uh, eventually the positives far outweigh the negatives by by miles and they really are a, a constant source of joy and, and delight and, and and watching them grow up is amazing well i have a six-month-old daughter now hooray yay <laughs> i'm a new mom it's been half a year cannot believe oh, it wow. But what's so funny in Tombi is, uh, you know, <laughs> quite a few years back, I had said that I didn't want to have kids. And Justin spent a lot of his time and energy convincing me that I absolutely should and it would be the best thing I ever do. And I was like, not a chance, not going to happen. And I have to tell you, Justin, you were 100% right. It is the best yeah. thing I've ever done. I'm absolutely loving being a mom and I can't believe I created, not just me, obviously my husband as well, created this whole little creature. It's magical. Absolutely love it. It's an amazing experience. It is. It's such an amazing experience and it's such a journey. Like even in the last six months, I've gone through so much. I'm a different person. I've definitely come out like in the best way, you know, obviously there's things that you have to compromise on, sacrifice, you know, you have to juggle your life very differently, but all in all, like I've just emerged like a better person for it. And it is a journey. So tell me about maybe some of the highs and the lows that you guys have experienced in your parenthood journey. Listen, it's amazing having kids, okay? They change your life. Um, you get the sense of responsibility and unconditional love that you get all the time, right? But wait until they become teenagers. The little one is not even a teenager yet, but I'm already feeling the lows <laughs> there. <laughs> well, with boys, it's a little bit different. We fight for bath time. <laughs> For some reason, they feel so comfortable just sitting, lazing on the couch and playing video games instead of bathing. So it's always a struggle there. <laughs> um, and that's one of the things I never look forward to because it's, it's like a serious war zone when it comes to that. I mean, the journey itself is amazing. And then when they get to teenagehood, then you start dealing with a whole different um, you know, line of problems. It's, I'm always right. Um, don't force your opinions on me. So it's a constant argument in the house. But the nice thing, the most beautiful thing is the actual family time when we're not arguing about bath time or homework and just sitting and having conversations and learning, you know, the things that they do when they're with their friends, the discussions that they have. It's so different from what it was when I was growing up. So it's always interesting to hear their stories. Yeah, but yeah, that's, that's kids for you. It's never the same thing all the time and it's never just smooth sailing. You constantly have to, you know, navigate stormy waters to make it right. But at the end, it does work. <laughs> yeah, what I, what I like about what you said is that it's, it's really an evolution, you know. Changes all the time and, you know, you get, you get some ups and you get some downs, but the, the downs are always worth it. And I think we also have an opportunity, what you said earlier as well, about, you know, being different from the way you grew up. We have such an opportunity to kind of change the narrative, you know do things a bit differently. We have so many different tools and 
uh, you know, access and, and things that our parents didn't have when we were growing up that, you know, has really changed the game. How about you, Just? What are some highs and lows for you? Yeah, I think when you said tools, I was thinking really what the, some of the lows were. And the low, one of the lows is, is discipline. And sometimes, as I mentioned earlier, uh, impressing on your kids what, you know, the, 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 the things that they should do, which are, which, which you tell them, you know, with a complete sense of love and, and trying to guide them in the right direction. But particularly as they get a bit older to the teens and tweens, is that they question everything and what do you even know dad and the fact that you've been around for, for 50 years is, is largely <laughs> irrelevant and they want to chart their, their own course and you know nothing's right and and so the tools like with it becomes the challenges that sparked in my mind of devices and as good as they are and enabling and it's amazing you know that they can have a conversation with four of them on the phone in messages and FaceTime, but they're doing it like while they walk through the house and they can't seem to, to, to get off the device. So that's a, just discipline in general is a bit of a low because it, it, it leads to kind of having strife or fighting sometimes with your kids, which I hate. You know, if it was just plain sailing, it would be lovely, but I suppose that's part of the challenge. But the highs really are, are, are seeing them I suppose eventually respond to some element of discipline and do something. I joked with Gabby the other day, she left her side of the house and she actually turned off all the lights. And I came and I went, Gab, so amazing, you turned off all... And she said, what dad, sorry, and I said, you turned off all the lights. You finally got it right after 12 years of begging. <laughs> so she, she laughed. But um, no, the highs for me have always been just seeing their personalities develop and you know them getting a bit of humor that you like that that's a maybe a bit of a left field uh, sense of humor that you know that you know is different from your colleagues and some of your mates well not necessarily your mates because normally you gravitate towards the same people but that they pick something up or they crack a joke of their own of their own making and it's just clever and nuanced and interesting and or you hear i mean with our 17 year old she's she's a phenomenal young woman and she's very bright and to hear her talk about politics or something and, and put together these amazing you know an amazing argument or, or things it's just when you see that and you see their eyes light up and then you can delight in their successes at school or in in whatever realm that, that they have is is really for me the the ultimate highlight of, of kids and what they bring sounds like i've got some stuff to look forward to and no, some stuff to be cautious <laughs> of <laughs> my um my thing that i'm sort of dealing with at the moment is like I'm new to parenthood and sometimes I just really crave a moment to myself so just you know like a space to have half an hour to lie on the couch and do absolutely nothing or to just have a toasted sandwich for dinner and not have to like meal prep all this baby food and you know like I have moments like that but then my little girl throws me the biggest smile or she has a giggle and I'm just like I don't care like I really don't care this is this is so perfect and amazing I, I wouldn't have it any other way so it's amazing that it's one of those things for me that gives a nod to a, a creator that they could create these little beings so cute that it's they, they're cute and delightful enough that just when you're really broken like something as simple as a smile or a giggle or whatever can make you forget instantaneously about the two hours where you were almost in tears and it would have to be crafted that perfectly in order for you to like endure 
like through a whole thing to, <laughs> to kind of see them out of the house and let them on their own way you know for all of that there's got to be the equal positive stuff otherwise you would go nuts i think <laughs> let's chat a bit about finances and our kids like you know so many people go about it in different ways i guess you get people who really financially plan for a kid and that's even hard even if that's your intention it's quite hard to do that and then you get people who kind of roll with the punches and make it work you know so which camp would you put yourself in or is there another camp i don't think i necessarily planned i was massively fortunate that i started working for for easy equities and when I started using the platform, I needed to know it's sort of in and out. And, and I wasn't too familiar with investing. I'd, I'd, or I'd actually felt incredibly guilty because Nina had a small portfolio of shares and I'd always felt that we'd been on the very neglectful side of managing it. And thankfully, through no design of ourselves, because we've heard many horror stories of it going the other way, but the person who managed it as a discretionary portfolio actually did a decent job. But I, every time that the, we were shown it, I, I wasn't sure necessarily exactly what it meant or what fees we were paying or any of that. And and every time I tried to get involved, um, I, I didn't, I, you know, I didn't spend enough time on it. So. It, it really was a blessing um, to start working for Easy Equities and needing to understand everything about it. So I dived headfirst into it and read um, as many books as I could. And through our sort of educational element, it, it appeared to me that exchange-traded funds and tax-free savings account were were potentially the things to look at. And um, and I just the more that I looked at it and the more that I read, the less um, intimidating it became. And it just actually started to make a lot of sense and particularly with ETFs and the fact that you could trade them as easily as you can um, and that they already gave you the diversification that all the books talked about and then the tax-free savings account in terms of minimizing fees I was already on the right platform bum in the butter there and then minimizing taxes the tax-free savings account and then the fact that you could open them for your kids like really blew me away because you know the one of the most critical elements in investing is time and so it made complete sense that the earlier you could do it for your child you know start investing the better and so through the discovery of those kind of different constituent parts and starting to put them all together I had opened accounts for each one of the girls and had started putting in as much money as I could every year and it was such a departure from the stereotypical you know save between you and your wife and one day leave them an inheritance and and there was a lot about that state duty and all sorts of things that seemed that that was not a very efficient way necessarily to do it and that the compounding of the growth within their own accounts over a decidedly longer period of time could make that a much better thing and so there was no planning it was sort of dip the toe play it around slowly at first and then more and more and then more and more comfortable and then discovering more things along the way and it was just this fantastical sort of voyage of discovery. And then I wrote a blog post, which I think you said ended up being one of the most popular ever, where I tried to apply sort of mathematical analysis to some extent in a spreadsheet and what that compounding effect would be. And every time I did it, I, I couldn't believe that it was correct because the results after like 40 years or 50 years, you know, from a five-year-old to age 45, 55, were so staggering that they didn't seem to make sense. And so I re-ran them and re-ran them and had some more boff 
people review my spreadsheet before I, I, I connected it to my blog post, but all of the, um, the calculations were correct. And so it just blew my mind that if one applied a little bit of discipline to an account for a child from when they're very, very, very young, that you could use that for all manner of things, either for their schooling if you needed it, or if you could school them, you know, if you were blessed enough to be able to do that, but, but keep this thing growing over a 40, 50 year investment horizon, what it could represent for them. Um, and then not to make them lazy, but potentially they would not need to necessarily have to worry about savings or investing even themselves, which takes a massive burden off yourself, the burden that I constantly felt that I wasn't doing. And so ideally I want to inculcate the same behavior, but it's nice to know that I'm setting up this thing that I can teach, and I am teaching them along the way. And it's, it's, it's without sounding corny, it really is a, a, be a beautiful thing. It's been a, an amazing discovery. Yeah, I actually used your TFSA calculator spreadsheet the other day because um, I'm setting one up for my little girl and it, I, I also had to kind of check like a few times if I was actually doing it properly because I could not believe the potential that exists there. It's, it's insane. And we're going to be sharing that, that blog of yours with our community quite a bit. So anyone listening to this, you'll definitely be able to get your hands on that. Tommy, how about you? What was your kind of thinking? Did you plan before you had kids financially or did you just kind of go with it? So typically, like most people know, I, I didn't plan for the first one at least. When I had him, I just started working and I had no plans to have a child at that point, but then it happened. And when it happened, I was sort of like relaxed and not thinking about things until it was time for him to start school. And that's when I realized Oh my word, I've wasted so much time and guys, school fees is a pandemic. It's <laughs> school fees is the worst. And that's when I realized. So when I was panicking about school fees, I was like, oh crap, he's going to finish school. He's going to want to do something. What do I do then? You know, and that was the push for me to start investing. So when, when the second one came, I already, I was a little bit smarter than I was the first time. <laughs> so even though I didn't plan ahead, but as soon as I knew he was on the way, I started, started putting money aside for him so that when he was here, then I could then open an, an investment account for him and then start putting money away for him. And I'll tell you that helped quite a lot, especially in the past few years when things weren't going very well. You know, there was a lot of things happening uh, with the COVID pandemic. And every time you ran into a little bit of a problem, you had a little bit of you know pot to dip into and cover certain costs especially when it came to school um so my advice well my two cents worth would be as soon as you know something is on the way start putting a little bit away um it doesn't have to be a lot and that's the nice thing about easy um it doesn't have to be a minimum of a thousand every month the little that you have even if you have an extra 50 here and there can always just throw it in there um, it works very well but if you can if you're one of the lucky ones that are always prepared you can start doing it before they come as my husband would say you need to at least have 100k before they come before you even start thinking of having a child Lord. don't know how possible that is <laughs> i guess that's why we haven't had any other <laughs> <laughs> 
So yeah. I was a, I was a total nerd about it. The second that we decided, after much going back and forth, that we did want to have a kid, we started actively saving, both of us, to almost have like an emergency fund. Just to start off with, because I couldn't start investing for her until she had a birth certificate, which she wasn't born yet, so that wasn't going to happen. So myself and my husband, my husband's name is Jack, we... We just started a debit order off each of our accounts and pulled our money into a savings account just to start, just to have some fat. Because even when you give birth, the operation itself, you need cash flow for that. Medical aid will refund you, but you often got to front the costs um, up front. So we luckily started doing that, which was really cool. And we made sure that the, the debit orders that we were putting into the savings account would equal what we were going to have to pay a nanny so that when a nanny came along, it wouldn't feel like an extra expense to us. It would just feel like the same thing that we've been doing for a year or two or a year. Let's call it a year. So that that really helped because there's, like you said and told me, there are these surprises that you don't expect. Like I just went school shopping for Mali. That's my daughter's name. And obviously you want to send them to the best school in the yes. whole world. But when you start seeing how much that costs, not just now, but when they're in matric, you suddenly think, okay, well, do I need to start like a side hustle or something? This is crazy. <laughs> like, do I need to make my, my little girl like a child actress to start bringing in some, <laughs> some extra revenue? Like, it's just <laughs> insane, the kind of pressure you start feeling when it comes to school fees. It's like school is, is the ultimate pandemic. So if you can start planning ahead for that, the better for you. Um, it will alleviate a lot of the pressure when the time comes. Yeah, and it's not just school fees, right? I'm hearing uniforms and books and stationery and extra murals and a cricket bat and yeah, all of that stuff. Very, very exciting. <laughs> not. When you guys were growing up, because Justin, you said now, like you, you're actively sitting with your, your daughters and you're getting them involved in the investing process and kind of handing over that skill set to them. I'm just wondering, like when you guys were growing up, did you guys talk about finances as a family with your parents? Like, was that something you discussed? Was it a topic at the dinner table? No, not really. Eh? Yeah, and, I, and I, I kind of regret not having done it. I think my, talking about money is taboo in so many families. And, um, you know, I wish we'd spoken more about it because I think when when you see, when you live in a certain life, lifestyle, I, I, I mean, I was very blessed. I, you know, we, we had, my parents were amazing. and. We had an amazing childhood, but when you see um, kids battle with the understanding of, of the value of money, it's one of the battles we have with our kids as to you know like like what money represents and and how much is a lot and you know if you're just handing them pocket money and not sort of giving them any kind of guidance, like they just don't realise. They're happy to blow. You know, we gave Gabby. We were we were staying in Mshlanga one year, and we gave her some money. Um, to, to spend at the sweet shop or her granny had given her some money and she could just swan off to the sweet shop which was like a ridiculous imagine two times the price of anything in some of those in like this resort sweet shop and just spend a hundred rand without blinking on sweets and she'd come back and we'd look at them and go well, what are you doing you know and, and they obviously they don't know but so we've tried to as much as possible in, involve them in things like that even when you know if you if you're considering buying a new car or someone has bought you know a friend's parents have just got a new car it's like saying you know why don't you get a new car 
and you talk about the considerations around a new car, you know, whether it's worthwhile. I mean, I don't care about cars at all. I mean, they're completely meaningless to me in terms of social status or, or what they, I think some people think they represent. But, you know, when they ask you that is to talk about whether it makes sense to buy a new car when the warranty ends or, or just what informed your thinking about certain purchasing decisions you made. And I think one of the best things that we did recently was a cousin of mine was asking me whether Saskia had an allowance when we were on holiday together. And I said, no, but it's something I've thought about and I, I really want to do. And he said, well, why don't we do it? And his daughter's the identical age to Saskia. So what we did is we got them to go and draw up a spreadsheet of the number of items of things that they think they would need to buy within a year to come, try and come up with some kind of figure as to what allowance we could give them per month. And my expectation was that allowance would cover everything from their own personal items like clothes to even gifts for, for, for mates whose birthdays it was. You know, and then they could decide that if this mate is really close to me that maybe I would spend more or double the amount that I'd spend on another mate rather than them coming to you and going, I've got a friend's birthday, please buy me a present or give me money. And then you don't know and you don't keep track of it and it's so difficult. So we got her to draw up the spreadsheets and there was a bit of debate and we, we, it, was, it was staggering how different Saskia's view was on things to her, to her cousin. And, um, and in terms of value as well, her cousin, I think, put down three, three swimming costumes in a year. And I was like, what do you need three <laughs> swimming costumes for? Saskia, a girl needs was options. Very, was very sensible and said one swimming cozy. And then, and then they costed them at like Cotton On or a shop where they thought they'd buy them. And we came up with a figure and the idea was, if you, um, this is not set in stone, and if you uh, exceed the amount in any given month and you, can, you do so repeatedly, come and discuss it with us and we can see where the money's being spent and we can discuss it and let's have a discussion. But otherwise, it's up to you and it's up to you to manage. And anything that you save, and ideally we'd like you to try and save something, you know, work on maybe 10 or 20% of what you get. And whatever you have in your account at the end of the year that you've managed to save, like I will double as an incentive. That's great. And the beauty about it, and one a mate, we were away somewhere doing a run or whatever, and his, one of his kids phoned him and said, and, and, and he put down the phone and said, don't you just love it when your kid contacts you and asks you to put more money on their debit card? And I said, you know what, actually, I don't, and I don't even know what it is because my daughter just manages all her own money. And it was such a relief because I've, I've had mates that where their kids are contacting them saying, please can I have more money or, or asking for cash as they go out the house. And I've A, alleviated that whole stress element as, uh, around my mental bandwidth. And B, I'm 90% certain or confident that Saskia is much significantly better off for understanding what she's spending money on and making those decisions around what she might want to save and whether she might want to buy a, a, a brand name rather than a, you know, a less expensive brand, etc. So she gets to make those decisions and understand now, which I definitely never did until I was into early varsity. And I think the, the earlier you can learn those lessons, my experience has been like the better, you know? Yeah, absolutely. You and Tombi? Conversations at the dinner table around money, did they happen? So never, never when I was growing up and I recently just told my parents how, how much I feel, you know, they, they, they cheated me on that. Um, because when I was growing up, my dad was the only one working and my mom has never worked. And there was four of us, 
right so this man had a house a car with four kids all school going because we're not that much far apart right all in one salary so we kind of grew up thinking no things are doable things are achievable (laughs) to this day we don't know how he did it because me I am not doing (laughs) half the things that he was doing and he always says that to me it's like it's only two kids I'm like yeah but it's a lot okay i guess the (laughs) value of the rent has a lot to do with it Uh, but because we never had those discussions i don't want my kids to have an unrealistic expectation about money as well because for me like i said i've always thought oh things are achievable you know until i had to start shopping around for school fees and clothes and tennis shoes and you know all those things so now i also just sit down with them and i discuss with them and i forcibly (laughs) take some of their allowance money and invest it for them okay so unfortunately i'm not doubling it justin i'm not doubling it but they only get access to it if their grades are okay so it's sort of like an incentive if you pass and you give me good grades then you have money for december and it's all the money they've saved from their allowance because i don't give them all of it you know um yeah but now i'm i am having those conversations especially with the matriculant because i mean he's going into adulthood very soon and he's gonna start living on his own and he needs to better manage his finances i like that too actually that's cool um yeah i i sort of had like quite a good balance i think when I was growing up, you know, like uh, we're very fortunate, you know, like parents provided really well for us. But when they were, when things came up, for example, I wanted to go to a Deb's ball at school and the ticket to go was 500 Rand and I was 15 at the time. And I asked my, my folks if I could go and they said to me, you can definitely go, but you've got to raise that money yourself. And I went and I took a waitressing job at 15, earning 50 cents an hour only getting tips and I worked for six months to save up for this 500 rand Dev's ball ticket because I really wanted to go man I had a boy I had a crush on we were gonna kiss that night I had plans (laughs) Um, (laughs) I was very motivated (laughs) and I did it and I'm so grateful you know I was sort of like irritated at the time because I was like come on you know like just come on just give me the ticket but I'm so glad they, they kind of taught me things like that because it's, you know, it's filtered through into my adult life. You know, I understand that you need to work for things and that you can't just go into debt or, you know, take a shortcut. You've got you've to really earn them. What I wish I had understood a little bit more is like the stuff you have to pay when you're a grown up, like medical aid and car insurance and all of these things that you just take for granted when you're a kid. You're just like, oh, mom has a car and dad has a car. You don't think like, oh, and they're both paying car insurance and they're both paying medical aid and for us and school fees. Like, I just had no, it was such a shock to me when I left Varsity and I really had to start doing all that stuff on my own, my own phone bill, internet, you know, data. I just had no idea. So I don't know how I'm gonna do it, but I definitely wanna try and maybe take Justin's approach and let my child manage her own budget when, when we get there. 
That brings us to the end of part one of my conversation with Ntombi and Justin on investing for your kids. Thank you for pressing play on the Easy Does It podcast. A big shout out to you for hanging out with us. Don't forget to subscribe. We are on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of this episode on Twitter and Insta. Our handle is at Easy Equities.